0: Well, as I was studying the message, um, the word, I was really looking into what is it that that you feel that your people need to hear. Then I stopped for a second and I said, you know what, never mind. What is it that I need to hear? Um, what is it that I need to be reminded of? And by God's grace, he led me to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Now, um, going through my notes and studying, um, I had a very busy two weeks, but it, it, thankfully I had the time to be able to study and the times that I got home, and it was just very busy, and I was kind of freaking out a little bit, but as God was working in me, I found myself praying and just thinking in reverence of God's grace and how much he really does love us um, our heavenly Father so that's that's going to be our our theme it's going to be the grace of God. so if you can go to your Bibles to chapter two verses one through ten, we'll go ahead and start by reading the section of scripture and then we'll go through and kind of break it down. sound good all right. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. And not as a result of works, so that any may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that today you be glorified that you make me clear and concise and accurate when preaching your word. Lord, I would also ask that you open our ears and hearts to hear and apply the word to our lives. I also pray that your word not return void and that fruit would grow for your glory and not ours. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll let the text answer a few questions as we go through it, four of them. So if you're taking notes, write them down. Who were they before God's grace? How did God show them his grace? Who were they before God's grace, and how did God show them his grace? How will grace continue to be displayed? How does he show us his grace daily? How will his grace continue to be displayed? And how does he show us his grace daily? I'm going to give you a little bit of background because we kind of landed in in chapter 2. But there's so much in chapter 1, let alone in these few verses that we're starting. I At first I was thinking, I'm, take, I'm taking too much of a chunk to try to bite through in half an hour. But we're going to go, the word is very simple. And so deep, right? So we can go extra deep. And I will challenge all of you after we go through it that you go back home and you really go through it even deeper, um, as we go through this. Who was Paul talking to? He was talking to the people in Ephesus. Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus around 62 A.D., which is current, which is currently Western Turkey. It had the temple of Artemis. She is mentioned in Acts. 1924. You might be asking yourself, why is this important? Um, she's also referred to as Diana in the Latinized form of the Greek word. Why? It's because it's a pretty cool milestone that is in history and it's here in the word as well. So please go back and read chapter 19 as a whole, um, because it actually gives you an idea of what Paul was really dealing with there with the church as he wrote to the church in Ephesus. So you get a really good um, sense of what he was dealing with. Um, Diana, she she's one of the seven wonders of the world and served as a cross, and that place in Ephesus served as a crossroad between east and west for centuries in those days. These people were used to idolatry. Um, Diana, she was worshipped for many things, but one of them, One of the main ones was fertility. Why is this important? It's important because as we go through it, you're going to see exactly why he was specifically talking to them about certain things. I would like to go to Acts chapter 19, verses 18 and 19a. You might be asking, well, what is a 19a? That's when you see a verse that's kind of, there's a comma, there's an in-between, there's two to it. So we'll read the first one. Acts 19 verses 18 and 19. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and or aprons that had touched him would cause him to be saved. Hold on. I messed up. Let me go back to Acts. Why didn't you guys remind me to turn over? Here we go. Sorry, that was Acts nineteen eleven, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And then we'll break off. We'll stop at 13 and break off into 18. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And if we read through 13, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And then it goes in there a little bit more. We'll keep reading through. Seven sons of Jewish high priests named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then let's jump over to verse 18 now. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Now, I wanted to go through this, these verses just so you could get a picture. So there was sorcery happening happening in there as well, um, that they were practicing all these weird, crazy things. They weren't worshiping the God, the one true God. They were worshiping little gods, the yeah. devil. They were being led by his, him being deceiving. So please go back and read through chapter 19 and really read through it because you get a bigger, bigger, bigger picture. So our first question, who were they before God's grace? If we look at verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now remembering what what Paul was dealing with, right? Sorcery, um, just craziness. And we're going to get into it a little bit more. He's going to be detailed. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, same word, it's uh, flesh, but they use body here, but it's the same word, uh, Greek word called sarts, which is still flesh. So carrying out the desires of the flesh, same flesh and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I would like us to take a look at verse 1 to 3 and really ask ourselves, are we any different than these people? Is our culture any different than these people? Is this something new that we're starting to see and not really make connections with? The people that Paul was writing to, the church in Ephesus? I don't think so. We get more of a sense of what the passions of our flesh is in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. So let's go ahead and flip over to Galatians five nineteen through twenty-one. Just to kind of get a little bit more of a description of what carrying living in the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of the flesh in our mind. Let's go to five nineteen. Through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sadly, it's something that we deal with today. It's nothing that's so far removed from us that we can't link up to it. I don't have to do much connecting of the dots here. It kind of covered everything in there. But what's interesting that I want you to, to understand as well is he talks carrying out the desires of the flesh, but he also talks about the mind. He's not just saying I'm actively acting these out, but he's also addressing the mind. He's also addressing the portion of what's in here so yes we might look all nice and pretty on the outside except for me i did brush my hair today but um but inside what are you, what, what's happening behind the scenes what is it that you're following what is it that you're supporting what is it that um you're looking at what is it that you're listening what are things that you do in the dark in, in behind the scenes or away where nobody sees you is what I would ask you all to look deep down inside and just search and really ask God and look to God and, and say, God, what is, what is it? To have that revelation that we mentioned the word grace and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but we don't want to, for us as believers, we don't want to take advantage of that grace, right? Grace abounds, yes, but we also, he calls us, Paul's calling the church in Ephesus to not do these things, that these are things that they shouldn't do. He's addressing them right now, saying that this is what they do. Um, This is how they are. He also says, we are by nature children of wrath at the end of verse 3. By nature. So that means that we are like this. Before God saved me, I was born into sin. By nature, I was a child of wrath. Let me remind you that <laughs> he's writing an encouraging letter to them. It might not seem like it right now, but if you, if you look at the, at the verses prior to, at the chapter prior to it, he's really gives it to them. He lays it thick of how much God loves them and what he has done for them. We're, we'll end up back there at the end. Of going through this because um, after going through this heavy stuff, you kind of get beat down a little bit, right? But he's already kind of, kind of gave them this this encouragement at the front end because he's hitting them hard here of what happens and who they were. Um, this is not a scolding or, or belittling letter. He was reminding them of who they were and who they are now as he's going through this. And we can see through this that they still struggle. Can we? He's writing to them for a particular reason. He's, they're probably still struggling. It doesn't mean that they were saved and all of a sudden everything was gone. You also have to remember, even like us today, it was ever present in our life. There's certain things that God saves us from that are still continue to come because of, of the damage of sin. It's, there's, there's still a, 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 a scar. There's still, there's still things that you can, can't ever take away from your mind. But by God's grace, he helps us through it and he works it out in us, right? But obviously they were struggling, maybe, or why else would he be reminding them of this? Paul also reminds them that the struggle, that the struggle also happened in their mind. So don't forget that point. A little bit of a side note. We always tend to forget that after the Spirit works in us and opens our eyes to God's glory, we receive a heart, a flesh. If you can now, Turn to Ezekiel 36. I'll do it with you. You know that um, book of the Bible, the song, The Book of the Bible? It just left me right now. And yes, I learned it when I was teaching in children's Ministry. You guys there? All right, of course you are. 36 verses 22 through 32. Therefore, says the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord of God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit, and I' will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a i will remove a, I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules then he says. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. You could continue to read through there, um all the way through verse 32. But I really wanted you to look as well as looking in the Old Testament. Um, did you hear why he will do this? As you read through there? In the beginning, you see that he says that I will vindicate my name, even though they were... They weren't following him, his people. So again, going back to another, it's this vicious cycle that us humans tend to do. Even his people that he chose were going astray. They were worshiping different idols. So it's no different than when Paul was talking to the people in Ephesus. Again, we had gone into this cycle of forgetting about God and not focusing on him, not doing what we were called to do, and that's to worship him. That's what we were created to do. And we go astray again. Same like his people. So it's no different either. Um, it's to vindicate his name. And if we look at Ephesians 2.10, it says we are saved also for good works. This shows us and everyone that the God of the Bible is the one true God. And he is in control. He will be doing the work in us. Not you. Why we tend to put this weight on ourselves, I don't know. We tend to look away from grace. We tend to look away from God. We tend to want to do things that we want to do or that's right in our own eyes most of the time. And not rest in God's grace. For God's people... You can see that even in the Old Testament, they still struggled with this. You see them time and time again, um, that they call out to him, God, when I'm hurting or I'm struggling. And then all of a sudden, they've gone astray again, complaining, whining, moaning. Why are you keeping this from me? Why can't you do things this way? Why is this happening to me? Why is this this? Why is that? And yet we start turning to other things for this hope for this need that we have that will never be filled. Question two. Now that we've talked about how were they before, how did God show them his grace? Let's look through verses. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God, knowing the way that we were going to be and what we were going to do, he still saved us. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him. Christ seated us, which is in verse six, right? He also did this. We'll get into it a little bit later. In, but he made us alive, verses five. B. Now, after reading the first part of the state, of the state that they were previously in, and we read the next verses, don't you ask yourself? Why would God love them? Being the way that they were. I wonder what was going through their mind. Through the mind of those that were hearing this letter. I know as a believer. At times I ask myself a lot of questions. When I fail. Or I'm reminded. Of the rebellion. That I have against God. And the fight that I had. And the hate that I had before he saved me. I started beating myself up and asking myself, Lord, am I even saved? Why do I still struggle? Am I not as good as, why am I not as good as this brother in this way or that way? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Paul asked himself the same question in Romans chapter seven, verses 21 through 25. We will visit this verse later. We see that as believers, we struggle. But through that, God is working out things in us and bringing glory to himself. So don't be discouraged. As God is working, he's, he, we just read, this is who we were. You got a little bit of description of what that looks like, which encompasses everything. And basically, it's going against everything that he, we were designed to do. There's still what we call the sanctification process. There's still the work. He saves you, which is the biggest thing, right? And it's the most glorious thing that he saves us. And it's a miracle in itself. And why he would even want us, I have no idea. But yet he does. And he he freely gives us that grace, freely to us. But it came at a cost through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The only way to him. So don't lose hope. It is hard at times. But I promise you, God is doing some work in you and working some stuff out of you. And at the same time, blessing other people around you. And if you look at the Old Testament, Israel's God's chosen people. Like I mentioned before, the cycle is the same. Thankful, then forgetting. Thankful, then forgetting. Looking at other things that, two other things that we shouldn't look at. But if we look earlier in chapter 1, Paul is reminding his readers that God had displayed his love by adopting them. He adopted them the same way he had chosen and adopted Israel. Not because of anything that they did or they brought to the table. If you can't, please please flip over to ch- chapter one. Should be on your next page, verses five through eight. Now, remembering all this stuff, right? Everything that we were, and everything that we are, and we struggle with. He predestined us for adoption as sons encouraging is that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world before the foundation of the world regardless of what people argue about we're looking in scripture that him even knowing being almighty knowing who we were going to turn out to be he adopted us he had a plan Through Christ, we have this gift. And we see here that God had this plan before the foundation of it, according to the purpose of whose will? My will? Your will? God's will. His will. Because he knew that our natural, what our natural state would be. And it would be, if you're honest with yourself, self-serving, self-pleasing, and self-destructive. Now, how will grace continue to be displayed? Let's look at verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So that he can show us kindness still, If that doesn't bring a sense of joy, then I don't know what will. To bring us back to fellowship with him is ultimately then goal, right? He created us. He created the world, but he created us in his image. And he's reconciling us back to himself. That's the ultimate goal. But even bringing glory to himself, he still showed us kindness. Why? I don't know. And how does he even do this? How how does God show kindness, but yet bring glory to himself? If you can tell me of somebody that can do that, uh, I will heavily challenge you. There's nobody that can actually do that. Show kindness and yet bring glory to himself. So that through this journey, people will see his power and might. We can't do anything to earn God's love, and we'll read later in the text, because we are not perfect. We are not bigger than him or smarter than him, than our God. He is the creator. As we start to look here, a little another side note, if you look here, you kind of see that love is an action. You see God acting this whole time. He's loving us. And how is he loving us? Does he just talk and not do anything? No, he acts. He saved us. He sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect and holy life, right? And yet put his own son on the cross, put himself on the cross to be put to the worst death, to take on all the sin upon himself so that he is the final and ultimate sacrifice that doesn't need to be made no more. It is complete. It is finished, he said. He always shows us daily, right? The beautiful thing about this is that It being His work and His plan, there's safety in it. When we go off of our work and our own plan, is there safety in any of that? You know what happens when we go do whatever we think is right in our own eyes. I mean, just look at our lives. Um, I was heavily, I was convicted of this. I was reading through it that I tend to have My plans, and I think I have things figured out. And the more and more that I start deviating from turning to God or being in the safety of God. When I start looking at other things, looking to other things that make me happy or make me feel good or whatever the case might be. And it's the places when I look up that I realize, how did I get here? There's always something that comes with it that's not that is very painful, unfortunately. But in him we have safety. Now, I would like to look back at Paul and just see a, a glimpse, just to encourage you, just to look at a little bit of a glimpse of Paul, great Paul, right? He wrote, the epist- he wrote, yeah, the epistles, Ephesians, Galatians, we could go through it, but yet, I'm always reminded, and this is a verse that I go to a lot. I guess it's my, I don't want to say it's my favorite verse, but it's my my safe verse, if you will. Section. Verse 7, I mean chapter 7, verse 21 through 24. Read it with me. Romans, I'm sorry. Yes, sorry. Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 24. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. And this is Paul. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, Paul asks himself. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Rhetorical question, I think. But then he answers himself. He points, he re- reminds himself. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Now, he's not saying to go on and sin, continue to sin. But this is just a, a and I, again, I, I will encourage you to go three read through all these verses and these chapters um, so you could get the big picture but he's just saying that there is a struggle that there's a fight he's saved us he's doing work in us so of course it's going to be a fight when you're fighting sin when you're when you're turning away when you're repenting there's going to be times where the struggle is is great where you need somebody to pray for you you need somebody to continue to link up with you. even Paul he put it in there himself that he struggled. So why should we be surprised that, that we do? Or why should we continue to focus on, on those things versus the grace of God? I want to go through, go a little bit further again. So let's go to Romans chapter 7. And continue to read through 8, 1 through 6. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his son. Listen to the next part in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, but who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds according on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to god's law indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please god so it gives us a uh a good. After he goes through this, he also gives us something in there where he tells us we are to set our minds. We have to actively do it because he is working the flesh out. So he's, God is working the flesh out. But what is our role after he saves us? While we're going through all this, kind of what he did before. He says, set our minds on things, on God, on things of God. God's work. We see here a glimpse of immeasurable riches of his grace. We are to set our minds. We have to actively do it because he is working the flesh out. But we are to walk in the spirit. We are reminded in Galatians 5.16. But I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that we don't gratify the desires of the flesh, what do we have to do? Why? By the Spirit. And that will cause us not to gratify the desires of the flesh. Easier said than done, huh? If we look at Ephesians chapter 1. 9b and 10. That's the second part of nine. One, nine. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It is also another example that we see Paul telling his readers, listeners, to the saints in Ephesus. He's going to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. So there will be a fullness. Um, That's what God's ultimate plan is. So linking it back to what we're going in these verses, he's working all this stuff out. God has a plan, so don't be discouraged as this is happening. Um, and I know it's easier said than done, but the last few verses are really going to hit home a little bit. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and we're going to go ahead and see what, what it tells us. How does he show us his grace daily still? For at, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We see here that, in this passage that it's not of our own doing, it is all done by God as a gift. For For by grace we have been saved through faith. Even though in our previous state, again, I'll remind you, and the struggles that we will have, he saved us. He did not have to, Jesus didn't have to humble himself. God didn't have to come down to redeem his people. He would have been perfectly just to judge us, ultimately. But yet he did. He came down, was born of flesh, as a babe. Struggled with Cold, everything that you struggle with, he felt. Never sinned, but he felt. And then lived that perfect life. Get, left us an example, and then was the final sacrifice. And lived that dis, horrifying, horrifying death. And yet doing it willingly, knowing that those are the same people, the same people that previously we're worshipping him with palm leaves anybody remember palm sunday we're calling him king treating him as a king same exact people were spitting on him we're calling him put him to death we're calling him names as he was going through all of this Does this sound like anybody you know Does it sound like yourself? Does it sound like me? It does. But by God's grace, he has his plan already. He knew that we wouldn't be perfect. He knew that we would struggle because we can't be perfect. Only he is. And he had his plan. We are a work in progress and his and. His doing is our spiritual growth, and he is doing our spiritual growth so that we could walk in them. Nowhere in this text or the Bible do we see us being in control, but God always is and always will be in control. Praise him for that. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good works. Not because of works does he save us, but we once he saves us, we are for good works. We are to be doing his work, to bring him glory. Do we all the time? No. Um, But believe it or not, sometimes when we're messing up or monkeying around, he will still bring glory to himself. Rest assured, it's not an excuse to continue to sin, but it should be a reason for us to look back to him and worship him even more and be so thankful for, for his amazing grace. And he prepared this beforehand that we should walk in him. So he prepared this beforehand, if you look at the text, beforehand so that we should walk in him. Church, can you see how precious we are to him? Rest in his grace. Stop trying to do things to gain favor. I know we verbally might not say it, but our actions speak louder than words. we already seen And focus on his character and the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him who is our anchor. I love this quote. A little bit about grace, right? A writer said, actually a explorer and biologist. Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. Paul saw. Grace is two things. It saves us and it's saving us, changing us daily. You're over on time, even though you have a clock here. But what I do want to do is go through the text. I'll pray and then we'll close off. So let's go back to Ephesians. Now knowing all this stuff, right? Go through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1. And you were dead in your, the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love which which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in Jesus, and only because of him. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Rest in this, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that anyone may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.